listening to the Nutmeg Arena by the Nutmeg Assist. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the TNA podcast brought to you by the Nutmeg Assist. Myself Prithvik the host of the show and today I'm joined by our co-host Chris who's back after a short break. So how are you doing Chris? Uh yeah, it's been eventful. It's uh, glad to be back but you know, lockdown, looking after kids and things like that. It's a bit, uh, it's a bit stressful, you know, but yeah, uh, what a weekend to come back. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what a yeah. weekend for you, what a weekend for yeah. you and what a shit weekend for me. Sorry for the language, but yeah, it's been a completely disappointing weekend. I, I wouldn't say weekend, it's been a disappointing year if you're a Liverpool fan. 2021 hasn't started very well. Mm. Yeah. Good good year. Good year for uh, most of the country though. <laughs> yeah. So we are going to be discussing the two derbies, the crunch ones, the Milan derby as well as uh, the Merseyside derby. We'll start with the Merseyside derby and I mean we would have loved to discuss Dortmund Schalke as well but we thought we would just stick to the two for now. So yeah. starting with the Merseyside derby. 2-0 Everton at Anfield for the first time after, I mean, post-1999, first win of the century at Anfield, Everton. Yeah, yeah. First thought, yeah, I just, I just want to know what, 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 I mean, what was going inside you when you, you know, heard the full-time whistle? Uh, oh, when, when that whistle went... Uh, yeah. Well, it was, it's hard to explain really because I think once, 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 we, once we sort of I was actually confident before the game. And I'm not usually confident before an Anfield derby. Normally, I just not see Anfield's not too far from my house. I mean, normally play Anf- we normally play the Anfield derbies on like a when like they always happen like on a Monday night or a Sunday evening or a Tuesday night. So normally, I just lie upstairs on my bed with a pillow over my head, and I can actually hear the fans in the background from my house. So I don't need to actually watch it, and we always get battered at Anfield, don't we? So. It's actually uh, it's actually one of those things. But this year, I was actually quietly confident. And when we got the early goal, I was sort of... I just didn't see Liverpool getting back in the game for some reason. It was quite an odd feeling. So the final wish... It was more when we got the penalty, more when we scored the penalty. It was probably the emotion came out then, as opposed to the final whistle. Because I didn't really see... Was, I, I knew Liverpool... I, I knew that was game over then. As soon as the penalty went in, I knew it was game over. So the emotion came out then, as opposed to the final whistle, which was just me and my mate jumping up and down um, and shouting all sorts of, uh, un- well, some words that I'm not actually going to say <laughs> on the podcast. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just uh, sheer emotion, we'll put it there. Right. right. <laughs> I mean, I mean that act, that win actually takes you level on points with Liverpool, 40 points for both the teams, but Everton do have a game in hand. So yeah. if they win that, they go above Liverpool in what is like uh, a bad season in the Premier League, I would say. Not not because I'm a Liverpool fan, no. Uh, I'm not speaking it from a club's perspective. I think Manchester City have probably, again, they are again walking the league title. So I don't think it's competitive anymore, just like last season was, just like the Centurion season was. So, I mean, it, it's pretty competitive from second to maybe what, 10th. 11th place and even at the bottom I think there is a little bit gap although Fulham are slowly catching up Newcastle 
But yeah, yeah it's been a disappointing season, right, Chris? Oh, no, it's been fantastic watching Liverpool. It's going to be the worst title defence in the history of the Premier League, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, as long as, as long as we have the Chelsea 2015 one, the Mourinho third season, oh, and, also yeah. the, and also the Leicester one. So, I mean, as long as we have that, it's absolutely fine. <laughs> yeah, it, it's definitely in the same discussion now, considering, <laughs> yeah. uh, considering this was getting labelled the greatest team ever last year. I mean that is some that is some fall that you you, you lot over there have took <laughs> some fall, but no, uh, I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll try and refrain from the jokes for as uh, long as possible on this podcast and get all the serious stuff out of the way. Uh, no, yeah, um, Liverpool are just showing a sign of they're just be, basically like everyone else, showing signs of inconsistency, and that was always going to. Be the way, given the the way the schedule uh, the schedules uh, have been listed this season, the way the games are coming thick and fast. Uh, don't get me wrong, I think Liverpool's problem is a lot bigger than that, and I'm sure we'll get onto that uh, in a moment or so. But yeah, um, very inconsistent season, probably very exciting season as well, very nerve wracking season, but still all to play for and all to lose. Um, Obviously, great for me at the weekend, but the weekend before was just as bad as uh, just as bad as this weekend was good. Um, so I'm sure there'll be plenty of up and downs uh, throughout the season. Uh, but for Everton now, I think Carlo Ancelotti said the best. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not important. We we shouldn't be looking at Liverpool on the league table and, and not and focusing on being above above them. We've already been above them for. Uh, for the first period of the season anyway. So that that shouldn't be our aim. Our aim should just be to finish as high as possible. And if you would have asked me at the beginning of the season, uh, if you were always sorry, if you would have said to me at the beginning of the season, uh, come the back end of February, we're going to be in the position that we are. We're going to, we're going to get to the quarterfinal League Cup, uh, obviously get knocked out in that. But being the quarterfinal in the FA Cup, we'll have a game in hand uh, and we're challenging for... The top four, we are challenging for the top four at the moment. I don't think we'll get it, but I would have been, I would, I would have bit that person down off. I said, yeah, that 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 so far is considered serious progression and a good season, but we've got to go and see it through now. Yeah, I mean that that was actually that point that you made was actually the answer to one of the Peter question from Peter, who's who's oh, our right, yeah. you know big 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 patron and big supporter as well. So his question was, uh, do you think Everton should aim for European football? So you basically answered it there. Yeah. But you're, I get, you're, European football, again, any kind of European football next season. I mean, obviously, people, the top four is up for grabs. It's up for grabs for a number of teams, though. And obviously, only three other teams over the Manchester City can finish there. So it, it's not going to be like one of those where, oh, my God, we didn't qualify for the top four. It, it, that, that there will be some Evertonians out there, and some people might look at that and say that's failure. That would be a failure if we don't. If, whether we beat Liverpool or not, or whether Liverpool or finish high Liverpool, or that, that I hope most Evertonians would be in agreement that can't be the resounding factor of our season. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. I, I, know, I know, I know, this is, uh, I mean, the probability of this happening is like very, very less. But imagine a repeat of 2005. Well, to be honest, <laughs> me, me, it wouldn't surprise me. It would not surprise me, to be honest. 
it, it normally happens. Liverpool do normally do something to trump us in any way. Obviously, only this time, I suppose, you can't rewrite the rules in your favour. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it could happen. I mean, the Champions League still very much up for grabs for Liverpool. Uh, it's yeah. a knockout tournament. You don't have to be the best team in Europe to win it. You just have to do enough to get through each round. And if I suppose if you get a bit of luck in the draw as well, you never know. But, yeah, yeah, no one Everton's luck. Yeah, so uh, Tottenham will win the Europa League as well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and finish eighth. Liverpool will win the Champions League, finish ninth. Everton will finish fourth <laughs> and go into the Europa League, probably. <laughs> I, mean, that, that, I, I mean, although I, w- I would hate to see Liverpool finish ninth, but that, that, that is probably a very nice, you know, a proposition that you just made. <laughs> yeah. 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 So actually, before moving to Liverpool, before talking about Liverpool, uh, one more patron question again on Everton from Dieter. Who do you think has been the player of the season for you so far at Everton? For Everton, ooh, uh, I think there's been a couple. If I'm honest, uh, I would, I would, I'm gonna have to go with defenders. If I'm honest, if if, if I'm talking all out consistency. And people that have been uh, just performed really well each week, every time they performed, I would say Ben Godfrey, uh, the signing from Norwich, is just since he came in, which is was around the first Merseyside derby, he's he's been fantastic, been fantastic. Every he played out of he played multiple positions, he played out of position uh, on more than one occasion, and the consistency that lad has shown considering that he's only playing Premiership football regularly for the first time throughout his career, has been fantastic. And I think some other teams, maybe yourselves, Liverpool, certainly Tottenham, some other teams who uh, who are more elite than ever and maybe looking at that purchase of £20 million and thinking, God, we've missed out on, we've missed out on a player there because uh, he's only going to get better and better. Um, and Michael Keane. I think Michael Keane has been solid all season. I I always I generally think he's a defender with limited ability anyway. I think if we if we if we sit back in two banks of four, that suits him. He's a very good he does the basics very well. Um although I do think his, his ability can only take him so far. But this season and on Saturday in particular I thought he's fantastic at just defending his box really well and he's done it consistently throughout the consistently throughout the season. There's been other plays as well like Alan the core have been excellent. Uh, Alan's obviously had his injury issues uh, since the back end of last year. The core has just been just been a solid performer every week. But yeah, those two in particular, uh, Calvert Lewin. If you were to ask me, the, uh, probably on the build up to Christmas, that question, I would have said Dominic Calvert Lewin. Though he's tailed off a little bit after Christmas. Although I don't think I think there's tactical reasons for. Uh, surrounding that I don't really think we create enough for, uh, for him or get the ball to him enough but I suppose that's a different discussion I don't want to get too involved in that uh, at the moment because we've got obviously other things to discuss but yeah those two it'll be a toss up between Michael Key and Ben Godfrey yeah those are actually two good picks Chris I mean I mean, there are more than two people I think at Everton probably Luca Dean uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin like you said uh, Ducure as well Michael Keane obviously and Ben Godfrey is again. Uh, he would actually be my my pick as well for player of the season so far because the way he's come in, the way he's played multiple roles. So, well, I mean, 
one play one liverpool player that you know uh, i i'm always reminded of when i see godfrey be was so versatile as joe gomez so joe gomez is, was probably was actually a center back uh, so when brendan rogers came he actually played him at left back at right back as well so it's it's probably a little bit similar for godfrey as well i i've seen carlo ancelotti use him at left back right back center back Yeah, uh, yeah, and 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 I I love the way sometimes where 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 he you know bursts into midfield some that with that acceleration he has pace yeah. he he is pretty good at one v ones as well so yeah like you said I think if uh, see, seeing seeing Liverpool's situation with injuries especially with the centre backs right now I think we missed a trick there we 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 should have probably you know looked at Ben Godfrey and said okay this kid probably would have done. But yeah. again, again, we didn't sign a centre back at all uh, in the in the summer. So, so yeah. Annoying. Well, I mean, he, he was a centre midfielder initially, coming through coming through uh, the ranks at Norwich. He was a centre midfielder that was pu- pushed back by Daniel Farker. Uh, so, given the fact that he was centre midfielder, his capabilities on the ball and his distribution of the ball, whether he's playing at right back, left back, or centre back, is always going to be is always going to be very good, and that always helps. Uh, but yeah, like you said, his bursts from defence into attack, or his ability to progress the ball forward, is is excellent. And I'm really excited to see him play centre half and actually use that ability as well. Because there's a term in football at the moment that sometimes I think is misused when people say, um, "Oh, he's very good at bringing the ball out from defence," and then you watch these players play. And you go well. They're not really. They just run ten yards with the ball and then pass it. And the pass and the pass doesn't break the lines, or the run doesn't break the lines. So you can't really label it as being good at bringing the ball out from defence because all they're doing is running running up the pitch ten yards. Um, but I actually would be keen to see Ben Godfrey, and I'd actually think he'd have the the sort of the bottle to do it when if because he is supposed to be a natural centre back. Be able to do do that. Be able to he'll be able to take the ball out of the fence, but he actually progress with the ball. And he actually progress with a pass as well, which is essentially what should be uh, what the team bringing the ball out from the fence should be doing. He should obviously be either breaking a press or breaking a press with a pass or breaking a line with a pass. Uh, and I, I would actually I, I can see him being very good good at that. Uh, but whether Carlo Ancelotti sees him now as a maybe a right back or maybe even a left back, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But it's exciting for for us Evertonians, and he, uh, we love him because he plays for, with such commitment as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you definitely love to have a player of you know that that potential in your team. Be be, be yeah. anyone. I I think like 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 I, like I mentioned a while back. I think it's it's probably. A player who a lot of club clubs missed on, especially Spurs as well, since they they went and signed Joe Rodon from uh, Swansea City. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Manchester United as well. I look at their back four and I think, Christ, how yeah. is, uh, how have they not spotted him? Obviously, but thank, thankfully it's been to Everton's game. But as well, I don't know if you know for I don't know. We've uh, I know you're trying your best not to talk about Saturday's game yet, uh, <laughs> but. The versatility, I don't know if you noticed in the first half, obviously, I'm sure many other people got onto this as well, but when I was watching it, it was hard to actually see whether Everton were playing a back five or a back four. 
Yeah. Because we, yeah. we, we kept switching between the two. Yeah. And obviously Coleman was switching to right back and then switched. Well, basically, he was he was there to nullify Andy Robertson. But exactly. When, yeah. But because he was pushing up, then Holgate was able to push out wide. Bev, uh, Godfrey was to come across. Keane was to come across. Then he used to drop back in. And then vice versa. So there's a lot of vers- versatility in Everton's defence at the moment because Holgate can play right back or centre half. Ben Godfrey can play centre half, right back or left back. And then you've got the likes of Coleman who can play wing back and that. So it was actually, even though in the second half it was a permanent five, in the first half they kept switching between a four and a five. And I just think, obviously, I know I mentioned Holgate then as well, but Ben Godfrey's. That that that's quite rare in defenders these days because playing out wide, playing as a fullback in modern day football, obviously there's such an attack and focus on that role now that I think fullbacks sometimes or attacking fullbacks can get caught. Attacking fullbacks can't necessarily play centre half because of positional sense and the ability to move across and cover the space and come back inside is just not there. Because the, the the for for I'll give you. A, I'll give you an example. I couldn't see Andy Robertson being able to play as a centre-half. Do you get what I mean? Do you know what I mean? Because his, his focus is so intense yeah, yeah. on hitting the space over the other end of the field. I don't believe he could hold his position and get that timing of his position right, right to play as their centre-half. But I think Everton have got that in Mason Holgate, who I don't really think has been had a great season himself, but in particular Ben Godfrey his ability to switch between left-back and centre-half or the left-hand side and tuck back in is it was evident on Saturday and it was uh, again just going back to what I was saying it's obviously it's uh, it's something that Everton uh, it's to Everton's gain uh, with him and his development has been fantastic from watching it yeah I mean Robertson indeed can play a left centre-back in a back three because he's played that for Scotland but I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I got your point, though. I mean, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah but I'm, what, what I'm saying is, obviously, what Everton were doing in the first half, switching between a back five and a back four, was because, at times, Godfrey was going to left back and then cutting back inside to come back into left centre half. And, obviously, Dinier would push up. And the same would happen on the other side with Holgate and Coleman. Um Obviously, Andy Robertson's a fantastic footballer. And again, I weren't pointing him out because obviously the Liverpool Everton situation, he was just the first that comes to mind. He's an exceptional fullback, probably been probably one of the best fullback, best left back on a consistent basis in Europe, probably for the last two seasons. But because he's so attack and focused and his ability to carry at the ball and, um, and his ability to attack space favour at the field, I don't know if he could say, for example, play the left centre-back in a, in a back four and then be asked to go to left-back yeah. within the same game. Do you know what I mean? And, and be able to do that sort of job because uh, I just don't yeah, think yeah. He, he, he's got, not the capabilities, but he's just got his attitude. He's got more, he's got more, his strengths elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I got the point, yeah. And probably moving on from Everton to Liverpool now, uh, then we'll move on to the Milan derby. but Liverpool once again, this year has been, like you said, pretty much horrific. Uh, I stay 
up at you know 1:30 a.m. in the night <laughs> to watch my team just pass the ball around and create absolutely nothing and lose yeah. games as well. So early, the trend earlier was that pass here and there somehow you know create a chance and hope Mohammad Salah or Sadio Mane or Firmino scores one and then keep hold, hold of that. But right now the game state is actually you know the game state has actually turned on us and. It it moreover seems like we actually concede first, and we are yeah. having to chase games, and that is something that 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 which is a big big change from last season as well as yeah. the season before. So I think that again has a part to play in all of Liverpool's woes. So I mean I've I've heard a lot of people say you can't give injuries as excuses. I don't agree with that. I mean it's not just injuries, definitely. But injuries yeah. do play a big role, and I think that's probably playing the biggest, biggest role here in in all of defensive woes uh, as well as the in the build up as well. Because you can't you can't probably replace Van Dyke's impact there, and also don't don't take anything away from Joe Gomez and Joel Matip because those two are pretty much really underrated on the ball as well. So I think that is again something that we missed. But we somehow, we somehow actually, you know, recuperated it with Jordan Henderson's range. But despite that, we seem to be struggling. Multi, uh, and that's again down to our attack right now. Sadio Mane, Roberto Firmino, two players who considerably dropped off this season. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, I mean, I mean, we saw it coming with Firmino last season because he was having a barren run uh, at times, even at the start of the season as well. But Sadio Mane has kind of really surprised me because I I I do think it's not it's not that he's declining or anything. I think he is completely out of confidence right now, Mane, because I don't see I mean, one characteristics which I saw from Mane often was that he was pretty much confident on the ball. I mean his touches were always not very pretty. He was always pretty loose with his touches, etc. But I think he never feared taking on defenders one v one and beating them. He had that drive, though. But I mean, I haven't seen that probably in the last one month or so. It probably might be a confidence issue, in my opinion, Chris. But yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I've said a lot. But what do do you think actually? Um. Well, I mean, where do you start with Liverpool? Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. Obviously, injuries play a part. They certainly do. Um, and I mean, when you lose a player like Van, uh, Virgil van Dijk, then obviously any team would be impacted by that. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't think he was playing particularly great before he got injured. Uh, but you would still think over the course of the season that that form would have uh, certainly improved. But I mean, I think I think the problem with it, Liverpool at the moment is that all your all your problems and concerns or sort of potential concerns have all come to the fore at once so yeah injuries don't help so Van Dyke injured out for the season obviously your season was always going to be impacted although your initial form once he got injured was was probably your best period throughout the season just after I think it was just after the international break I mean you might be able to correct me on that I know you started the season not too bad but I think Liverpool's probably most consistent winning period was probably after Van Dijk got injured. Uh, but again, that's not to say that you're doing better about them. The Gomez and the Matip issue, 
I mean, you, I, I, I do agree with you in what you're saying that that I mean, Matip especially can be is very underrated as centre half, but their injury issues have always been there for me. Uh, and I think I think you mentioned it once on our WhatsApp group that I mean. He's just Matip's injuries are just they're not going to go away. It's nothing new this season, so may, maybe yeah, yeah. I mean, look, and we'll get to the next issue in a minute. We'll because that coincides with that. And the same with Gomez. Whenever Gomez seems to get injured, it always seems to be it's never one or two weeks. It's always one or two months. And again, I'm not a Liverpool fan, so I won't be able to say specifically that is the case. But he always seems to get. Not a severe injury, but one sort of injury that keeps him out the team for a period of time every year. So again, I, I don't know if you can you can use them injuries as an excuse because Liverpool should be able to foresee that and get over that. That is something that they've got over before, and so on that a lack of pre-planning is not as sort of assisted to. Which brings me to the next point: is what Liverpool this Liverpool took because they haven't won three league titles on the bounce for the last three years. People I don't think people realise the level that they hit for those three period those three seasons in particular. Uh, obviously ninety seven points uh winning the chat or even the season before that, uh, when you, you you the the level that you hit was getting near then that season. Uh then then you obviously finished second with ninety seven points I believe. Um Won the Champions League season after, won the league. Obviously, you were undefeated. Uh, you were undefeated till February. The level that they hit for those three seasons can't be disguised. Just because you didn't win the league every single season, it was a superb Manchester City team that stopped you dominating for that period. It doesn't mean you weren't at the level to win the league. You just had a, a superior team for the other two seasons, but you still win the Champions League and you still eventually won the league. Now, for those three three seasons in particular, you had squad players like Origi, Shaqiri, Lalana. Uh, I still consider Milner a, a squad player. Not that he hasn't been important, or maybe he's just in between. He's not maybe someone you would hold as a salary as important as a salary of Mane or a Firmino, but he's he's that next level player. He's still a player of limited ability, but is a consistent performer. Uh, you've got you've had players like that. Um, who else can I think of? So they were the ones that I, I'd wrote down here: Shakiri, Lalana, Arigi, Milner, Oxley Chamberlain, Naby Well, Oxley Chamberlain, Naby Keita has just been. Well, well, that's another injured. issue. Is that, yeah, well, yeah, he's just been injured. He's, he's not. The transfer just has not worked out. He's a talented lad, very good footballer, uh, but he. You're only as good as the minutes you play on the pitch, as far as I'm concerned. And if you don't play, you're not good. Uh, so, but going back to those players, they're players, they're squad players of limited ability. And there's only so long any manager can squeeze the very best out of them and make use of them. And now it's showing that this season, those players are just no longer good enough. They're not good enough to be called off the bench. They cannot be called off the bench to win you league titles when you've got Manchester City winning 16, 17 games on the run. They're just not. It's hard to sustain that, and I just think the, the uh, another point that brings me on to another point that it seems people seem to be skating over is that Liverpool hit their peak last season. There's always going to be a, if you've got there's always going to be a downward spiral after that, just because Liverpool didn't win three league titles or win the treble or win 
obviously I know you went on to win uh, the Club Cup, etc., the World Club Cup and things like that. You, you, just because you didn't win all the, the most dominant trophies, it doesn't mean, obviously, they win a very, very good team and it doesn't mean that you haven't peaked yet. The, the, the first 11 was as good as anyone. Um, but obviously the players outside that now it's starting to show it's starting to show that those squad players are just no longer good enough they don't have the impact yeah. that they once did and it's hard for a manager it doesn't Jürgen Klopp's a top manager one of the best around but even even he can't just sustain getting the best out of them and obviously that that, that was evident on Saturday because on Saturday Ancelotti, I mentioned in our WhatsApp group, it, it wasn't a complete shock that we won the game. Obviously, I was a relief from my yeah. own personal point of view because last time we won at Anfield, it was four, I was 14. <laughs> and and uh, obviously, it was a bit, I think it was, it, was, it was actually playing on the Everton players' minds that we hadn't won there. Uh, and it was actually starting to play on the fans' minds as well. So it was great, to, but it, it wasn't totally unexpected for me. I expected us to, if we performed, I thought this is a great chance to win. And once we got the early goal, I thought I was confident. And Liverpool teams from the past, I've always thought, well, even, oh, well, what if this player comes off the bench? Or what if they, they're going to change something here? And then when I was looking at your bench, I just thought, you have, you had nothing. You had nothing to come on. You really didn't. I thought, no matter who you bring in off this, exactly. off this bench, you aren't, you, this game isn't changing. Ta- because I, I knew Ancelotti got his tactics spot on, and even to the point where in the second half you had to swap Mane's role, didn't you? Because he seemed to be playing a lot more centrally, and I thought yeah. it's quite unusual that because normally there's been games like that in the past where Klopp has probably just thought, right, they can't play any worse in the first half, but eventually these players will perform better in the second half, and the quality will show. As where he had to change it, even though even though he didn't change pace, I don't think he changed personnel anyway. He just changed the role and Mane. And I thought, it's a bit of a desperate move that because you're taking Sadio Mane from his strongest position, which is wide on the left, cutting in because he makes those, he can run with the ball inside, he makes those diagonal runs inside and his movement's fantastic. And he was, you're actually putting him in the middle of, in the middle of our centre-half, so we're playing superb. So again, you're playing to our strength a little bit. And I thought that, that's the only move Klopp could have made. And I thought, that's when I was thinking, we've got them here. And I thought, and, I, and one of the reasons we we, we had it is because you had nothing to bring off the bench to change the game in your favour. And again, I'll go back to the pre-planning. Whether Liverpool are financially not being able to do that, I don't know. I find that very shocking. Again, I don't know. If we, we know how F, FSG run their sports companies. Uh, we know... They're not just going to go out and spend money uh, for the sake of spending money. Whether that's going to be a detriment to Liverpool Football Club now, time only tell. Or, or maybe maybe Liverpool can't afford to reshape the squad. I don't know. Maybe it's a financial issue that we don't, the fans don't know about. However, I highly doubt it. I really do. Um, it's an area that has to be addressed. And I don't know if... Maybe Jurgen Klopp and Michael Edwards have got to be accountable for not being able to forward think, or maybe they've been, or maybe Jurgen Klopp's being too 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 loyal to average players now. But that that squad issue is definitely coming to the fold and showing this month. Obviously, he's mentioned before yeah. the schedules. The schedules don't help uh, the game every three days and things like that. But 
it's the same for everyone. Liverpool, it's not just Liverpool that play those games, uh, and Leicester seem to be managing it. Manchester United seem to be managing it. Uh, obviously, Everton, the likes of Everton and Tottenham, I think we're always going to be inconsistent throughout the season anyway, just because they they've got a little bit of lack of quality in certain areas. But I didn't expect Liverpool to be in our category of not being good enough and not having the the depth. But maybe that's now just because you're you're on that downward curve a little bit. Um, yeah. I mean, I actually, mentioned. I actually you, would yeah, like go to, on, mate. Go on. Uh, yes. Yeah, I'm sorry for the interruption, Chris. But no. that point on FSG was, I think, it's it's a very fair point, and there's actually divide in the fan base right now. I don't know if you if you actually. I've uh, seen this on Twitter as well. There's there's a divide between fans when it comes to FSG and you know the investment they make because once we won the Champions League, I mean when you win a trophy, a big trophy, you try to yeah. sustain that level of success by backing your team, by you know changing certain players, by yeah. adding something new to the team. But I'll tell you the players that FSG funded after the Champions League win: 7.5 million on Takumi Minamino. Was the only big investment, and that came in January. The other two were Harvey Elliott and Sepp Van der Berg, two youngsters. So yeah. I, I mean, I would I wouldn't count that as, you know, actually a proper investment. Although I mean, those are probably very quality players as well, Harvey Elliott especially. But coming to this summer as well, they signed Diogo Jota. Yeah, they signed Thiago as well. Absolutely good. They signed Costa Simicas, left back as well. You yeah. see the right the right back spot. Trent Alexander Arnold has played a lot of minutes in the last two seasons, last three seasons, and we have yeah. to note that he is just 22. He is just 22, and the, there is a risk of you no know, burning him out. And he has had COVID this season. He's had injuries as well, small small injuries as well this season, and he's actually struggled a lot. Yeah. Andy Robertson has been consistently playing. Ginny Wijnaldum is another player who is always available. I mean, when it comes to injuries. I don't I don't see Wijnaldum getting injured at all. He almost is available for every single game and he he gets overworked and that sees him you know go off form at times and this is one such period. I mean he hasn't looked very good uh, since January apart from two three games here and there. But this is the price that you pay if you don't strengthen. You see Manchester City people say okay you can't probably do it like Manchester City because they are owned by an oligarch like also you can't do it like yeah. Chelsea. But you see what Manchester United did. They had problems with uh, players who weren't performing well. They you no know, added Alex Telles as a backup for Luke Shaw. Look how yeah. Luke Shaw is playing. And yeah. I mean, they they still haven't filled various positions. Um, I mean, I mean, we don't need to talk much about their management, the Glazers, because that that that's a that's a different, completely different piece that we're talking about. The yeah. completely symbolic ones, but yeah, you you even see teams like that improve and make some important additions. You look at yeah. Liverpool; they they decided to go with three centre backs, like you said, considering Joel Matip and Joe Gomez's injury records. And yeah. that was very, very, very risky. I know no one predicts a team to probably have all their three centre backs out for the season. I mean, it's it's probably bonkers to even think of that. But still, you have Fabinho, who's pro- arguably your best midfielder in the last two seasons, yeah, to play centre back again. I mean, this is a big risk. This was a big risk, and I still probably don't know why FSD or Klopp 
or even Edwards thought of you know going ahead with that because yeah. and and when it comes to like I said when it comes to Liverpool Peter uh, there is completely a split some are FSG in some are FSG out I'm probably somewhere in the middle where I probably appreciate them for what they do at times but I I do criticize them as well you see what you we did in January window as well. We waited 31 days. We waited till deadline day to make an offer for Kaleta Car from Marseille, and Marseille rejected. Yes. And at the end, we needed Philip Degen, who was who is a former player, former Liverpool player, to help yeah. us sign Ozan Kabak from Schalke. Or else, that move would have not happened as well. And we signed Davies yeah. from Preston North End. So we waited till deadline day to sign a player, which speaks volumes about, you know, the I mean. I I don't know I, I I don't want to term ambition but uh, probably they kind of thought okay this is probably a risk worth taking or the owners might have thought probably Klopp could work some magic still but it hasn't. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean we we've skated around the issue of S, uh, FSG and uh, they obviously their impact that they're having, but as well I don't think it can be. I don't think really if we can have, if we're having this discussion, I don't really think we can avoid the Jurgen Klopp issue here at the minute. Now, obviously, being an Evertonian, I'm going to jump on this later. No, tomorrow, <laughs> uh, and get stuck into Klopp this season. Uh, no, I'm only joking. Uh, but no, it, it, I always believe football managers take a lot of praise in this day and age, and rightfully so. Especially the more we, uh, the more we go through. Uh, the tactical period that we're going through, everything's tactics, and the managers deserve credit for the uh, for the influences that they have on the game. However, I don't think they should be also uh, void of criticism when they make mistakes. And I think Klopp's one of the best managers in world and has in the world at the moment and has been uh, for a number of years now. But I think I think his management of this team in the last month, I don't, I don't want to say shocking, but I think the mistakes have been there to see. Um, and I don't think you can before before I go on to uh, make me points that I say I can't I can't believe for the life of me that he hasn't got any say in transfers and that it's completely all FSG. Him and Michael Edwards have got to have some control over transfers and the way transfers are managed. So just go just going back to the point that you were making there regarding the centre halves in January and the timing of the late bids and that. Surely Jurgen Klopp and Michael Edwards have got some say on who comes in and when they come in or when the when the club make a bid. So I I, I, I don't think it's completely fair to label everything at FSG. I just can't see them having the whole 100% of the say in a football transfer. Obviously, they're putting the money up and obviously they'll have some kind of influence and control over that. But they employed Michael Edwards for a reason, don't they? And Jurgen Klopp is the man that he is. I, I just can't see them not having being having a, a substantial control or say over these transfers so I think they've got to take some accountability too because again he picks the team doesn't he obviously he, he, he's he, he's Klopp's the one choosing to have play Henderson there and play Fabinho there and um, and he took credit for it at the beginning of the season, especially when he played Fabinho there. Now, it was a complete shock to see Fabinho playing at centre-half and playing well, considering that he played right back for Monaco. So, again, that could have been a natural fit uh, for the period of time. But since, obviously, he's got injured, etc., is the setup of the team, for me, or the lack 
the lack of a change to the setup of the team. I don't know what your opinion on that has been quite astounding. I can't believe he's not even... Liverpool just seems to be trying to play the same way, with the same formation every week, with just massive holes all over the pitch. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to go deep deep onto that because that might again drag this this talk yeah. to, you know even, this talk even more. But yes, that point that you made there regarding Klopp being flexible, fle- sorry, Klopp being Klopp not being flexible, I would say, yeah, is, is is actually spot on because we're seeing the same thing. We see we are not even seeing Liverpool create many chances, and that is something that that you know that worries a lot of Liverpool fans. I mean. Along with the injuries as well, this has been you know, spoken about uh, on social media as well quite uh, quite a few times because you don't see any sort of creativity. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of talk. There's a lot to talk about when you uh, talk. By, I mean, if if you want to talk about the tactical aspects, yeah. that 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 probably has not worked in the last month or so. The loss, the losses against Burnley, Brighton. Yeah. Um, there are lots and. I mean, I don't want to probably dive deep into that for now. So yeah, probably but, we'll end. Yeah. Yeah, I was yeah. just uh, just one thing before we do move on, real quick. I mean, obviously, it'd be, it'd be great for me to hear Liverpool perspective on this. Uh, I mean, okay, so you had you had Nat Phillips and Ben Davis on the bench, didn't you? On they were both on the bench, wasn't they, on Saturday? Yeah. Okay. Why didn't they start the game? Hmm. This is actually a question that <laughs> I mean, it's funny because this is a question that that us Liverpool fans have been asking each other for. They're both. They're both. Cent- correct me if I'm wrong. They're both centre halves, aren't they? Exactly. Yeah. And, and I, I think the only reason that Klopp prefers Jordan Henderson there is because of his passing ability. But yeah. if you look at Ben Davis as well, he has a decent range. He has a decent passing ability. So either it's a case of him not trusting Ben Davis or throwing Ben Davis into this game yet, uh, because probably he hasn't settled in easily. Yeah. I mean, it, it's always hard for a player to settle in easily, especially when they're yeah. coming from a come from a lower tier to a bigger one. And everyone as, said this yes. was a step up. But yeah. I mean, as for Nat Phillips, I would I would clearly say that this probably wasn't the game for him to start because again. Uh, not not very pacey. You had Richarlison up top, so he's he does he hasn't got any sort of pace. He gets beaten on pace. He is very yeah. bullish. He is very bullish, so he can win duels in the air. He can actually bully you even on the ground as well. But if you put him up against players who have some sort of trickery and pace, or who can get in behind, then you are preparing the team for a disaster. And that is something yeah. that that we have struggled with a lot this season. But wouldn't you wouldn't Jordan, wouldn't you have the same problem with Jordan Henderson anyway? Because I mean he's not the fastest player, he's not a natural centre half. Surely he's yeah. better to play a natural centre half. Whether his skill set is to match Richardson or not, surely it's natural to play a centre half there. And you can't tell me you can't tell me that Ozan Kabak has settled in that good <laughs> that he deserves yeah, yeah. to be starting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think, is he, he's picked up a yellow card in every game, hasn't he? And obviously he had the issue with Allison against Leicester. Uh, Again, I I think that that does it that deserves criticism as a manager for me. Now, yeah, I know what you're saying, and I agree with you completely. What you're saying, like uh, in terms of Phillips and, and Davis not having that sort of because Richardson getting in behind, but at the same time, Jurgen Klopp said in his post-match interview he was expecting Dominic Cavalier to start the game, and Ancelotti tricked them because 
he didn't think that. He was quite surprised that he didn't start the game. Now he didn't say that word for word, but he sort of he, he mentioned that they were quite. He was quite surprised by the lineup. Now, given that he mentioned that, that sort of indicates to me that he didn't think Richardson was going to play up front and Calvert Lewin was. So therefore, again, it goes against a little bit what you say. Even though I, I agree with the logic of what you're saying, it looks like he's just got it completely wrong, completely wrong. And again, he seems to be playing like. I think he's going for, and managers tend to do this, where they go for personality more than a natural position. And sometimes because they don't want to avoid a person not being able to play, i.e. playing Henderson at centre-back instead of playing a natural centre-back, just so that you think he's got, because Henderson has got the personality. He's got that massively wrong, massively. And he yeah. keeps getting it wrong yeah. for me. I mean, I mean, if you, if you ask a Liverpool fan, I don't think anyone would prefer seeing Henderson play uh, centre-back instead of no. in the midfield. But, I mean, the only logical explanation that I can think of is, like you said, uh, one is personality and and another one is the passing range, the long passing range especially. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, I I, I don't think there is any logical explanations. But yeah, let's probably wind up Liverpool because we... Actually, dragged no, this is this is, no, yeah, this is great. Let's add City into Liverpool problems all night, <laughs> all night. I've got so much more to say. Are you me. are you are making me regret this? Yeah, I mean, I can't even. I can't. I mean, we haven't even got onto the fact how poor the front three have been. <laughs> I mean, I mean these, are, these are the two of the best foot in Sadio Mane and Firmino and. Mo Salah. I mean, we're talking about three of the, three of the greatest players ever, according to some of your <laughs> WhatsApp statements over the last eighteen months. And now, I mean, I mean, they, I mean, they couldn't hit the barn door with a football. Never mind a goal. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, I know you that you are having a lot of fun, but no, you have to be a little bit. Uh, you know, fair to the listeners as well because we yeah. planned a Milan derby. Review as well, but one final question yeah. which I want to answer, which is again from Dieter on yeah. Allison's uh, form or Allison's yeah. drop drop in form. But I I don't specifically think uh, there is a drop in form. Yes, he has made uh, individual errors in I mean two two successive games, Leicester as well as Manchester City. The Manchester City game was probably his worst in Liverpool shirt, um, and I mean. And that Leicester mistake, I don't think it's. I mean, I don't. I don't think it's as bad as the Manchester City one because yeah, you are a goalkeeper. I mean, I mean, if it was Edison as well, he would have called and he would have gone for the ball. So I mean, probably Allison did the same. But again, it was Kabak's first start. There was a miscommunication. Probably Allison should have let Kabak, uh, you know, clear the ball, or probably Kabak should have moved. I mean, there are two sides to the story as well. But again, I don't think that. Should be as bad as the city error, but I don't think there is like a drop in form. It's it's just some individual mistakes here and there because with goalkeepers you always have these things. You know, uh, I mean they don't they don't have like a considerable drop in form like the other players. Yeah. Either I, either it's like a bad season as a whole, or either it's like a, a good or a decent season. I I don't think there is like a bad run of form when it comes to goalkeeper I mean I might be wrong but I don't see that quite often yeah I, I, I don't I, I don't think uh, obviously to put my two pence worth in and obviously I'm going to jump in when we're talking about a loss of form for a Liverpool player <laughs> uh, 
because I find it highly amusing. But <laughs> um, I don't think it's a long-term worry. Anyway, I still think he's a very, very good goalkeeper. I mean, me and you spoke about Edison, didn't we, at the beginning of the season uh, when Man City were having their sort of tricky start and we thought... Um, we 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 were thought like yeah serious questions need to be asked of him but he seems to uh, have come back into form late. I think we're what's contributing to Allison's form is possibly just the lack of an understanding in front of him as well. Uh, okay, he's not been at his best in terms of shot stopping. Although I'd certainly argue that uh, Seamus Coleman's header was a very very good save on Saturday. Uh, I just think he's probably he's probably trying to account for him having to do more than what he's ever done in his Liverpool career. Uh, and it, again, when you're playing out from the back, like the mistake against Manchester City shown, when you play out from the back, it's a coordinated technique. You don't just do it on a whim. It's planned in training. Uh, the centre-half positions, whether the centre-halves are splitting wide, whether the full-backs push up or drop deep, and one is, or whether the centre midfielder drops in. When, do you know I mean? That's all coordinated and planned. And obviously, if we're having defensive issues with personnel, he's probably just not used to people's position. All that might have changed a little bit. So, again, I don't think that's a long-term worry. Yeah. So probably that 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 is going to bring us to the end of the Merseyside derby review. Fifty minutes, I guess, more than fifty minutes talking about Liverpool what? and Everton. Is that it? <laughs> pro, pro, probably that's what you, that's what yeah. listeners get when you have when you know a Liverpool and an Everton fan discussing the Merseyside derby. You know you have yeah. to expect that. But yeah, I mean I've yeah. got pages. I've got half a pad full of still to go through. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I mean for most uh, of it's just all, laughing. But <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I expected more from you on the WhatsApp group actually, Chris. But unfortunately, I I was probably underwhelmed by you know the response. The response, oh. the number of responses. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I expect it. That's the best. I think that's the best thing I can say. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Going yeah. to Anfield these days. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> no. Adding, add, adding more salt to the wound. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, moving on to the Serie A, the Milan derby again at top of the table clash. AC Milan versus Inter. Inter winning the game 3-0. Yeah. I mean, for all the criticism Antonio Conte has got over the last few months, for all the criticism Romelu Lukaku has got his entire yeah. career before moving to Italy, yeah. they, these two have kind of completely changed Inter. The way they play, the impact. Romelu Lukaku, I think, right now, and this is again a Peter question, uh, Chris. I mean, I, I just yeah. want to come directly to this. Peter's question yeah. was, is Lukaku one of the three best strikers in the world? I mean, striker, I, I would just assume striker meaning centre-forward right now. Yeah. I would probably say yes. I would probably say yes. Yeah, I would, I would actually say right now, uh, on this day, is certainly on current form, he's the best in the world. Yeah, Robert, Robert Lewandowski, yeah. Romelu Lukaku, Erling Haaland. Uh, no, I mean, well, at the moment, on, on four, I would say Suarez or Lukaku. Mm. Yeah, I mean, mm. Lewandowski, obviously, his goal record this year, his goal record is, goal, is good every year. So it, it's, it's not when you see him scoring 20 odd goals, it's not an unexpected. But his actual performance by Munich, just, I've watched him a few times this season, and obviously. I know people might say, oh, but 
they haven't been great this season by Munich and I don't think his performances have been great he's scored a lot of goals but I, I, I think there's so much more that he's done in previous seasons I don't if people want to disagree with me that's fine but it, if people are trying to tell me that this is the best uh, Robert Lewandowski that we've seen well you're wrong if anyone's saying that and if they're listening uh, based on Erlen uh, Haaland has been very good when he's good he's good but there's some games that he's drifted away yeah, as well yeah, but Dortmund yeah. themselves haven't been a great team this year um, I mean we've talked about their issues on previous podcasts as where Lukaku and Suarez for me even though Atletico Madrid have having a little bit of a dip in form over the last couple of weeks have been outstanding more, more consistency and, and, and Lukaku from 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 the start of the season for me has been the most has been the best striker in Europe this season yeah, and talking about the game, Chris, one goal from Lukaku, two from Lautaro Martinez. Um, yeah, this probably is again again a patient question probably before you no know, delving yeah. deep into the deep into the game. We'll we'll get it done. We'll get the yeah. patient questions done. Again from Dieter, do you think Lautaro and Lukaku are probably one of the most deadly duos in in this area of probably in the past decade? I, yeah. I, I do think. I, I do yeah. think that's the case. I mean, it's such. It's a good question, uh, and it, I mean, when I seen that today, when you sent me, I was like, "Oh, Christ, Disa loves these questions, doesn't he? He loves deep thinking questions." Uh, it's so hard to say now because in modern football, if we're, uh, I'm sure you agree with me, it's very rare that you see two, two, two people playing up front. Ever since that sort of era, that Barcelona era, see that team, uh, that Pep Guardiola's Barcelona team, when obviously um, he was playing with a sort of like a false nine up front. Uh, I've, I, the, the the traditional partnership, so to speak, has gone, uh, and it's very rare that you actually see two people playing up front as direct strikers uh, anymore. I would say I don't. I think it's a little bit premature to give them that tag without them having actually won anything. Um, being the most deadliest, I think they're certainly on the way to it at the moment. But when you think back at like. The teams in Syria over the last ten years, and obviously people always go straight away to Juventus. I remember Man Mandzukic and Dybala. I think around the 2015-16 season, that might be wrong. It might have been the season after, or maybe uh, they were very good together. But because they didn't play as like a direct two up front, can you really call them a partnership? It's the same with uh, I remember Dries Mertens and uh, Milic. Oh, Milik for Napoli. I think it was a season before last, or it might have, yeah, the season before last. Were, were both very good and very productive in terms of their assists and goals. But I don't know if they played as like a direct partnership up front. I know they did for a bit under Ancelotti, but whether they done that as that under Sarri, I, I don't know because obviously Insigne played there as well uh, as a free. So and. As well, last season when I had to double check this because when I was I thought I thought surely Atalanta have got to have someone um and when I check the stats obviously um Morial or Morial and uh, Zapata I mean they both scored eighteen goals each for Atalanta last year and uh, Illich scores fifteen but again can you call them a partnership if they didn't play together at some point do you know what I mean I don't know who played together more. Mario and Zabata or Zabata and Illich and you, obviously you've got to throw Gomez, uh, Papa Gomez into that so it's a good question from Dita it's a little bit too early to I, I would say to start saying that they are the best 
striking partnership over the last 10 years because, again, uh, Ronaldo and Dybala were having a very good very good start to last season together. Uh, I mean, Juventus would have had a few over the years, but whether, I don't know, but whether you can call them a partnership unless they're playing directly as two strikers, I don't know. It's sort of a bit of an, a bit of a, an open debate, that one. But, yeah, yeah. I think and Phil, I think until he wins something, my answer would be no, they're not. But if they go on this season and go on and win trophy and then maybe maybe this is the start of a period for Inter Milan, we don't know, then it would be hard. It would be they, they would certainly belong in the discussion. Mm, fair. That's that. That's yeah. actually a fair fair answer. But yeah, let's talk about the game now. Three 0 win. It was very much a convincing win for Inter. And yeah, I mean, talking about Milan, they have problems of their own. Yeah. Yes, they started the season so well, and people were drooling all over them, saying that the old Milan are back. But yeah. I mean, we all saw a small blip or a or, or a blip coming in sometime sooner rather than later, right? Because yeah. they, they sent a back Alessio Roman only. Again, this is another topic that is probably quite divided on Milan Twitter. Romagnoli was, I know he's a captain, but again, he is probably not a starting material if Milan wants to challenge for the Serie A or the Scudetto. Yeah. Uh, I think he gets beaten way too easily on pace. Uh, yeah. He isn't very dominant right now. He was completely targeted by Lukaku yeah. uh, in the derby and they actually used him to their advantage. So I think... That is a major, 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 uh, you know, uh, aspect that AC Milan probably might have to visit in the summer. They have to probably get in the centre back. I know they signed Ricardo Tomori from Chelsea on loan, which probably yeah. can be made permanent. Uh, I'm not sure if he started any games yet, uh, if I'm not wrong. Uh, so I think the be- the faster they you know, bring him in and start him instead of Romagnoli, the better. Yeah. I, I think that's that's a big issue for Milan. Um, Zlatan Ibrahimovic and Lukaku, we all know that they had kind of a spat quite recently <laughs> yeah. uh, in a game. We saw them having you know, quite, a, quite a bad exchange of words. I mean, it, it's normal for us, but again, for the public, it's not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. But Lukaku came out on top today. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about Lukaku all the time, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Who's played for Manchester United and Everton. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. I uh, I mean I've got to be honest. Obviously, I've I've had the pleasure of watching him up close on a number of occasions. Well, basically for this whole four seasons at the club at Everton. Obviously, I've been a season ticket holder. I, I I I got that privilege. So I've watched him closely and watched his game for years. And given how it turned out for him at Manchester United, I actually thought Everton might have seen the best years of Romelu Lukaku. But obviously, he's gone on to another level since he's been at Inter Milan, and I think obviously that's. Dan's obviously to himself, but uh, because at first of all his ability to actually do so, but I think playing on the Conti and actually playing in the system because at Everton and Manchester United he played the front of it on his own. Uh, he's actually playing as a two now, and I would believe obviously we I mentioned it before about playing up front on, uh, about now our Monday formations and systems sort of indicate that you play up front on your own. It's such a unique role to play up front on your your own. It, it it's very rare. 
that a player can actually play up front on his own to a certain and and, and do what's required of him. I know there's certain instances and certain teams that will Aguero at Manchester City, for example, get to wave it just because of the pure movements of the team around them and how they attack. But playing in a two has certainly suited Romelu Lukaku. Now, not only from another player being able to move off him and, and create space for him, but for his ability to actually create space for himself in order to take show a different side of his game that not many people realised he had. I know I've seen it in Everton, but his ability to run with the ball at pace and with power. And when he does it, like like his goal showed, not many not many defenders in the in the world would uh, would love taking on that challenge, having him in full throw uh, running with the ball at you. Yeah, absolutely, Chris and. I mean, if you look at the Serie A table right now, Inter on top with 53 points, uh, Milan yeah. second place 49, Juventus uh, 45 in third, uh, and they have a game in hand as well, so they can talk, close the gap with Milan to just one point and yeah. with Inter to just five points. Uh, you, you look at the form in the last five games, Inter have picked up uh, like 12 out of a possible 15. Milan yeah. slipped up like like we discussed, three losses out of five, two wins. Juventus yeah. one loss four wins so it's Juventus and Inter are slowly picking up the pace and I think I mean a lot of people wrote Juventus off yes they are not uh, probably at their best right now they are they are not the same team that they were probably two seasons ago under Max yeah. Aleri um, I think they're still evolving under Perlo he hasn't probably you know lit up the scene or anything uh, I mean it's pretty much still similar to what Maurizio Sarri's Juventus was last season. But yeah. I think they're slowly picking up points and that is what Juventus do and they have a character in the team like Cristiano Ronaldo as well. Uh, so, they are going to be there up top but do you think this probably could be the year? I mean, we always we always think the same but do you think this probably could be the year where we see the Juventus monopoly end in it? Yeah. Yeah, I'd be actually shocked if it didn't happen this year. Uh, it could have ended last year. I still think part of me when I uh, was watching the games thought there was a massive opportunity for Inter Milan and Atalanta there, there last year. But they, obviously, I think maybe and even Lazio. Uh, but the break, uh, the, the pandemic break halted theirs. But even after the break, Atalanta uh, and Inter specifically had opportunities that they didn't, they just didn't take this year. I yeah, and I think this game, this this uh, Milan derby, was such a significant victory for Inter. This was the very much in form at the moment. Uh, the next two games are Genoa and Parma. Uh, before then, before they've got Atalanta and then they've got Torino. So this is a they haven't got European football as well. Let's not forget that. And I, I know that's not out of their choice, but. I'm sure, um, I'm sure they'll take advantage of it. Uh, so for me, yeah, and I think they've got the best squad. I think they've got the best team, the best squad, and uh, the manager, uh, the manager knows how to win uh, league titles. Haven't done it at Chelsea yeah. and Juventus previously. So yeah, the, I, 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 I'm 99% certain now that they will go on and <laughs> win the title. Um, obviously, it's great for Serie A and say Italian footballers. I haven't got a clue who's going to finish in the top four uh, this year because they all seem to be hit in form. 
uh, and then uh, dipping in form at certain uh, certain points. As for Milan, though, if we, I mean, again, it was also a significant game for them, maybe for the wrong reasons, because I don't know if you remember when we had our podcast in the summer with Nima, uh, and we were talking about Italian football, can you remember? Yeah. And we were yeah. talking about Pioli. Pioli, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, Obviously, he's done a fantastic job. He had a he had a fantastic end to last season and a fantastic start to this season. And um, I label them as a very much a, a momentum manager. Yeah. I mean, Neymar, Neymar did say that he's like it's it's like the Pioli Express where the wheels yeah. might when the wheels come off, it comes off completely. Yeah. Now this now is now a significant period for him because he's lost to Spezia, uh, in which. They deserve to lose. They lost on Sunday, which I think they deserve to lose as well. It was a close game up until sort of until that sort of like ten minute spell when you could see the two goals. It was relatively close game, but I always had the feeling that was always always going to be one winner in this game. And now, uh, so they've lost two games on the bounce, and I think they've got Roma next who are or were lying and feared. Now, that's such an important game for them because Roma, Roma are up there challenging for the top four, but Roma this season have struggled to beat the top teams. So they're good at beating all the lesser teams, but are struggling to get results against the so-called big hitters of the league. So it's a big game for them. It's a big game for Milan. And a very going back to that point that when I said Pioli was a momentum manager, everything that you've seen up to now is just Milan be on a roll. So the momentum has been there with them from last season. Is this now going to be a start of momentum going the other way? They're still in Europe as well. They've still got the Europa League. Yeah. Uh, I certainly hope not because, I mean, obviously being a massive fan of Italian football since I was a kid, it's hard not to love AC Milan uh, as well, given that I started watching them in the 90s. But no, I, I, I don't think they'll actually maintain a title race now. I actually think they'll drift away. Yeah, that's 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 a, that's a good point again, and I think the target for Milan should be top four this season. Yeah, uh, I think I think the target probably was top four as well, but they they kind of overachieved in the first half, and a Champions League qualification would actually be a successful season for them, and and a yeah. good Europa League run as well, which I think should be possible. So yeah, yeah, yeah I I I don't think it's I don't think it's a it's a cry of crisis right now not yet at least but like you said uh, it's the Pioli Express like Nima said the Pioli Express you, yeah. you you don't know when the wheels fall off what happens next so let's, yeah. let's, let's see what happens I think any, anything below a Champions League spot right now would be a failure for Milan this season because they are in a very good position yeah I, I didn't say too much about Juventus as well because obviously I wanted to focus on on the derby itself and those two teams. I mean, Juventus deserve their own podcast at the minute just because obviously they're very much, Pelo's very much a, a manager still learning the game. But I mean, the club themselves are in a bit of a transition period, but it comes across like they don't know what they want because it looks like they want a sort of philosophy and a style on the pitch. I personally don't think you can have a philosophy and style if you want to fit Cristiano Ronaldo into that team at the moment, just because of his—he's not the player he was years ago. He needs to be—he needs to have the team built around him for him to score goals. And I actually think over the course of the last 12 months and all that's coming to the fore, where it's like, well, he's going to sort of stop any kind of 
And I think that was the issue for Maurizio Sarri at Juventus. Actually, he had to get Ronaldo in that team. But once he put Ronaldo in that team, it sort of diverted away for the exact reasons why Sarri was appointed because he wanted that sort of vertical style of possession football, which Ronaldo just doesn't fit. It doesn't fit that style. So having Ronaldo in the team sort of beats the purpose of what Juventus seem to be, or certainly portraying in the media what they want. So it will be interesting to see how that develops over the next six months uh, to a year. But yeah, I don't see them yeah, maintaining yeah. the title push either. I see Inter Milan now running away with the league. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about Juve uh, in the Champions League podcast soon enough. We'll we'll get the chance for that. But yeah, probably this is probably pretty much it again for the Milan derby. Yeah. I know uh, the listeners, you might be thinking 50 minutes on Liverpool and what? Uh, just less than 20 minutes on the Milan derby. Come on. But yeah, that's that's what you get when when you have an Everton fan waiting, you know, for more than 20 years to banter uh, a Liverpool yeah. fan, right? But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, are we? Oh look, we did. Is that the end of the show? I thought we were doing a part three back on Liverpool and Everton <laughs> on Field Derby. No, well, if if anyone wants to uh, request that, then feel free to, and I'll happily come back on and talk about. <laughs> How Ancelotti outwitted Klopp yet again, uh, and how uh, you know what's basically going on at Anfield. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I hope I get the final word at the end of the season. I really do hope. Yeah, but I mean, I expect. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. Once again, thank you to our dear patron Dieter Van Gogh, who's who's actually been there from supporting us probably from the start of 2020 itself. He's been a massive support for us doing this podcast, sending us some really nice questions, which we you know probably have to spend a few time. You know, we have to actually devote time thinking his questions as well answers for his questions because they are some really good questions, right, Chris? Oh yeah, they're fantastic, really good. Uh... I mean, I could. He's it, it, just. Uh, sometimes I don't know if he plans them deliberately or he just. He sort of just reels them off either way. They're fantastic, <laughs> and they always get me thinking. Anyway, and they're always sort of. They're, they're always good. Quite. They're never one. They're never one word answers. Uh, they can never be answered in one word. Sorry. So that makes the question even better. Exactly. So this is actually a shout out to Dieter as well. Thank you so yeah. much. And also to all our listeners who's you know who's listening to all our episodes, thank you for all your support. It means so much to us seeing you guys support. So yeah, that's a wrap to this episode. I mean, I love actually speaking to Chris, even if it's Liverpool on the, being on the wrong side. But yeah, thank you so much once again, Chris, for joining in. No, no, uh, you're very welcome, mate. Glad to be back as well. Absolutely. So that's it for this episode. Until the next episode, bye bye. Take care.